1: It's Thursday, and it's time for another edition of PFTOT. This is my final access to Chris Sims for the week because he never works on Fridays. He's a slacker. He's lazy. He's a bum. He's going to spend the next three days sitting around playing video games and smoking uh, cigarettes. So, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you're a good sport about it. We know you work on Fridays. You're just not on the show on Fridays, but you actually do work on Fridays,
2: so. I still reserve the right Don't to make worry. fun of you yeah, for not right. working on Fridays. You're allowed to. You're allowed to make fun of me. You're, I got nothing that's waking me up in the morning, kicking my butt, going, let's go. So it does feel like a day off. But, yeah, there's things I I got to get done on Fridays, too.
1: Hey, let me tell you, there's four weeks every year that we put the show on hiatus. And even though I work all day long to not have to give up, get up at 520 every weekday – It's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to wake up at 7 or 7.30 and then get to work, even though it's still not really work, so we're not complaining. And I'm not complaining about having to get up at 5.20 because a lot of people have to get up even earlier than that to do something a hell of a lot more taxing than sitting on our asses talking about football. Marshawn Lynch may not be sitting on his ass for very long. He has... Apparently, a willingness to return to the Raiders if they call. That was a report on Wednesday from Steve Weiss of NFL Media. And that was sparked by the news that Isaiah Crowell tore an Achilles tendon on Tuesday. Now, the Raiders quickly signed Doug Martin. I don't think they want Marshawn Lynch. And I don't, I just, I, I was surprised by this report because he's just walked away, Chris. Why all of a sudden is he trying to walk back in?
2: Yeah, I, I know. Is there other, you know, ul- ulterior motives here uh, or is it just a Raiders thing where they're just that special and it's his hometown and he's willing to, to play football for them, but he doesn't want to move or uproot and have to go start a new life somewhere in a new city? I don't know, but, you know, to what you said, Mike, I just don't think there's any way the Raiders would be interested this time around. They're kind of trying to, you know, move their organization forward as of right now. They got a young stud at, at, at running back and Josh Jacobs, a first rounder, they want him to be the leader of that room and the leader of that position and be one of the leaders at offense and, and Marshawn Lynch as good as he is, I know he's in the locker room and guys love him and being around him. But what happens a lot of times, and I know I said this during the show today, when you have that strong of a presence, a hall of fame caliber type player, a guy that everybody looks at or looks up to as an NFL legend. I mean, come on. He beat the NFL in their own game and just, you know, I'm just here so I won't get fined, boss. I mean, come on. That was amazing stuff. Yeah, to where guys like that, you know, the young guys who are maybe trying to find their voice in a locker room to become the leaders, they're going to go to the back when a guy like Marshawn Lynch is there and just go, hey, he's the man. He's done it. He's won Super Bowls. He's had a lot of big moments. And I think John Gruden's probably conscious of that and trying to move forward as an organization and the culture and, and give some of these young guys a voice.
1: I also think part of it too is Marshawn Lynch is a guy who sees through bullshit. Can we say bullshit on yeah, this? so they yeah. he can bleep us out if they right. want to. I think he can see through it. And your old coach has a little bit of it floating around, uh, you know, in his manner, in his demeanor, and 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 I have a feeling that John Gruden's not all that unhappy that Marshawn Lynch is gone because anytime you have a little bit of that that layering of bullshit on you and you know there's somebody in the room that can see through it, you're not comfortable when they're around because you know that they know, and they know that you know, and you know that you're not going to be as confident in your bullshit right. as you need to be. I'm saying it a lot of times here until that person's gone. Does that make any sense whatsoever?
2: Totally makes sense. Valid point by you. Yes. I, I mean, you know, again, Gruden has had a little bit of that reputation. I don't know if that's what's gone on here. I, I would hope that, you know, he's grown as a man over the last 10 years, being outside of coaching football and maybe fix no, some of those things. Now he's still 5'8". Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but no, you, you do have to worry about that. And if he felt like there was some uncomfortable, you know, areas in the relationship or where he felt like Marshawn Lynch didn't look at him in a great way. You worry that Marshawn Lynch is going to go in the locker room and point out some of the flaws that Marshawn Lynch maybe thinks he sees in John Gruden. And then does a spread throughout the locker room where everybody's kind of looking at their corner of their eye. So those are definitely things coaches have to balance. When you talk about chemistry of a locker room. And the other thing too
1: is, What's he going to want financially? I mean, they surely don't right. have much money budgeted for Marshawn Lynch now that they have Josh Jacobs. And now that they have brought back Doug Martin, he's not going to take the veteran minimum. No. And and even the veteran minimum, that's that's a lot of money. You can go out and get a guy who can come in and play special teams. You can pay him a bargain basement rate. Wide, and you don't need a Marshawn Lynch. It's the last year in Oakland. They have John Gruden. They have Antonio Brown. I was convinced when they signed Marshawn Lynch two years ago, this was all about getting the Oakland fans to stay on board during right. this awkward transition period to Las Vegas. You don't need that anymore. This is the last year. They have Gruden back. See you later, Marshawn Lynch. I, the whole thing just was odd to me that he would even want to come back, that he would even put that out there.
2: Yeah, I, I get you. It, it is. I mean, especially after it sounded like he was done, it was over with. And, you know, I don't know. I, I guess maybe the injury itself, Isaiah Crowell, he went, oh, man, maybe there's a spot. That would be one team I would go back. Or, you know, is it deeper like that where he's changed his mind? And, you know, like you're saying, he's putting this out there to kind of let other teams maybe know, you know, I'm not the door's not totally closed. It's like it, there's still a little crack. So if somebody called me with an enticing offer, I can still be persuaded. Maybe that's what he's doing as well. Yeah,
1: I, I think the word is out there, and to the extent that, that, that it wasn't picked up on when he retired or whatever the announcement was last week, I think that this is a reminder to anyone out there, if you suffer a serious injury to one of your starting running backs and, you know, look at what Adrian Peterson did last year. He was unemployed on August 19. Yeah. On August 20, he's on Washington. By week one, he's the starter. So, uh, and, and we said last week, one more year from Marshawn Lynch, one more solid year, and he's a no-brainer Hall of Famer and maybe maybe he maybe he listened maybe, maybe he watched the show right. maybe mm, I, I would i would i'd take the under on that one all right um the saints are staying put through 2035 we talked about that during the show today i stopped short of naming any teams that i think could be vulnerable to move because their fans freak out whatever team it is it could be any team if you suggest that a team is leaving its current market the fans of that team in that market will freak out yeah. i would too right but the one team that I'm watching now, Chris, okay. is the Buffalo Bills. Okay, Here's why. The Pagolas have made it clear they're not paying for a new stadium. Well, if the local government is not going to pay for a new stadium, then it's just a matter of time until some other city, like Las Vegas did with the Raiders, shows up and says, we'll give you X million dollars to build a stadium and if you can't get public money where you are and there's another city that's saying we're giving you public money if you move here at what point do you make the move and and the other and if you have to ultimately pay for it yourself you're going to pay for it in a market where maybe it's a nicer climate, maybe you're going to pay for a dome, you're going to have more people, you're going to have more you're going to have uh, more companies there that can get luxury suites, you're going to be in a more vibrant growing market. This is nothing as Buffalo and I hope the bills don't move, but I think to the extent the politicians are thinking the bills are going to stay even without any type of help, they may be misreading the situation cuz that's the one team I watch now as a, a team that that potentially could say, "Hey, Buffalo's not giving us what we want." And another city will and it's that simple it's ultimately a business and and the fans don't want to think of it that way they 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 don't understand why owners want to make money they think they have enough money what's the difference between making x here or y there well they're always looking to make as much money as possible so in this day and age where we've seen three teams move in the last few years We have to be ready for a reshuffling from the smaller markets to bigger markets if the smaller markets aren't going to do what the owners are expecting or hoping for to keep them in place.
2: Yeah, I I mean, um, I hear you you know, and I certainly hope it's not the case. I mean, I do love, you know, I think the Buffalo, uh, the city of Buffalo, their fan base, it is pretty special. They are incredibly loyal, uh, but I'm not going to lie. I mean, when you talked about teams that might move in the future or whatever, certainly Buffalo is at the top of that conversation along with Jacksonville. I think that's another team. Those are the two teams that stand out to me more than anybody else. I mean, you know, with Jacksonville, there's always the London talk and they play a home game there every year. We've seen you know big sections of their you know upper tier of their stadium you know gets uh, you know what are they tarped off basically with the big Jaguars logos so they can still sell it as a sellout and the game you know has no TV issues or anything like that or at least looks good on TV so I'm with you Mike those are the two teams I certainly uh, look at I don't know if there's anybody else out there that I think is on the radar at this point but you know would hope that Buffalo gets something fixed and where would a Buffalo go? Like, Buffalo, I always thought if they went anywhere, it would end up in a Toronto, which is, you know, right across the lake or the waterfall or whatever it is uh, up there. But I, I just would wonder where they go. What would be that city that would be next in line for wanting an NFL football team?
1: Well, remember, Ralph Wilson, uh, before he passed, had experimented with the split schedule where they played a couple of games every yep. year in Toronto. It That just didn't work, though. They were yeah. trying to regionalize the fan base, to help further cement that team in the area, and they abandoned it because the people weren't going. So if they're not going to go for a couple of games— They're not going to go for eight games, so I don't know that Toronto is the viable market that the Bills should be looking at. Look, it's all going to come down to dollars. Dollars, size of market, cost of stadium, and it ultimately is a business analysis. It has has nothing to do, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is the way it is. It has nothing to do with sentimentality. It has nothing to do with history in a given market. It's about the future, and if they see a better path to increased profitability by moving the team somewhere else, they'll do it. Stan Kroenke was from Missouri. And he moved the Rams from St. Louis back to L.A. because he thought it was a better business decision. These people don't amass millions and billions by making bad business decisions. And I know we don't like this aspect of it, but at its core, these decisions are business decisions. The Raiders moving to Vegas, business decision. Chargers to L.A., business decision. Rams to L.A., business decision. Business decision bills to wherever it'll be a business decision. And I agree with you, bills Jaguars are a team to keep an eye on. Send all the hate mail to Chris Sims, because again, the Jaguars fans get upset when we talk about it, but you know, every 20 or 30 years, each team wants a new stadium. And if you run into that brick wall of a politician saying, we're not giving you any money, that's when a team is susceptible to potentially relocating. If there's another city out there that wants to make itself into a major league city by kicking over several hundred million dollars, to build that stadium and lure that team. All right. Um, a, a quick Tyree Kill update. I, I was under the impression, and there were other reports to this effect, that the NFL would put Tyree Kill on the commissioner exempt list this week. Mike Garofalo of NFL Media, who, you know, kind of has an in because he, he works for the league, he suggested on NFL Network yesterday that the league's not going to do anything this week. And Chris, we talked about this briefly during the show this is a result, I think, of the PR focus of the personal conduct policy. And the let sleeping dogs lie mentality is applying here. Because if you put him on the commissioner exemplist, you're creating another news cycle where people are talking about Tyree Hill. And we issue a statement saying how how troubled we are by the audio that was generated. And you may have people who don't even know about it say, what audio? What are you talking about? I was paying attention to the draft. I don't know anything about this. So I, I think the NFL's goal here isn't doing the right thing or whatever we think the right thing should be or showing leadership or whatever the case may be. It's about avoiding a situation where they have to say, hey, everybody, look at our dirty laundry. So that's why they choose to do nothing. They think nothing needs to be done. He's essentially suspended by the, the Chiefs, so we're just going to keep our mouths shut. I hate to be that cynical about it, but I think that's exactly why they're taking this
2: position. I, I don't know if I disagree with you there. I mean, yeah, it, it does seem that way. I, I mean, the pushback against what you're saying, or just maybe what we're saying, maybe the NFL logic is here altogether if they didn't want people to make news of it, then why didn't they just like put them on the exempt list on Sunday or Saturday during the draft, let it get, you know, caught in the back end of the news cycle where,
1: but then they, but no, they'd have to mention it. Then they, they don't want to undermine the, the, the three day ultimate reality show. They, 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 they were never going to mention it during the draft. I was surprised the Chiefs did anything during the draft. Well, but yeah. I don't think the Chiefs had a choice, but I think the NFL just wanted to ignore the thing from the get-go.
2: But, the, but to, to where I would just push back against that logic is go, okay, yeah, I understand they didn't want to ruin the NFL draft and things like that and then put a bad stigma on it, whatever. But at the same time, I think you know we would have all got it off our chest and we might have talked about it for 24 hours and it would be done and we wouldn't talk about it. But the fact that there's nothing being done, uh, I know you, for one, you're going to continue to keep your eye on this. So this is going to be a topic for us at least once a week going forward until something is done. And it's going to leave all the other media outlets out there to continue to ponder too and ask the NFL, you know, what's taking so long? Do they have any heart? Do they have any soul? I mean, this guy's horrible for the league. You know, the longer they go without addressing it too, they look like, you know, they're, what do I want to say, tone deaf or just don't care about people either. So I do think there's a fine line here as far as how long they can kind of just brush this off and hope that, oh, you know, this doesn't become a story. It's a story. There's no other way around it. And people are going to continue to look for more and more things that maybe Tyreek Hill's done, more issues of dysfunction with the relationship, as we're seeing, until something gets cleared here by the NFL. And I think that's where they're kind of dancing with uh, danger there.
1: And, and to boil it down, I think the NFL's position is simple. If they issue a statement, it becomes an Associated Press story that ends up in every newspaper the next day. It ends up on every mainstream website. Everybody is noticing something that, for now, it's just a small percentage relative to if everyone knew about it, and they're just choosing to not create a news cycle that would be talking about the NFL placing Tyreek Hill on the commissioner list because then – People become aware of the audio, like I said, who may not be aware of the audio because they were focused on the draft. And I think the NFL, from a PR standpoint and nothing else, decides there's no reason to do anything. Let's not do anything. David Cutcliffe, the Duke head coach, we talked about this briefly during the show today. He is one of these believers that there were teams out there that were going to pounce on former Duke quarterback Daniel Jones. And I don't know how these people who aren't with a given team have the magical ability to know exactly what a team is going to do when it's on the clock with the first round draft pick. But man, Cutcliffe working hard to show his appreciation to the giants for giving his recruiting efforts in a tough conference, a boost by making his quarterback a top 10 pick.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, again, I, we talked about this a little, like you said, first off, you can never believe a head coach of a college program with these type of scenarios. Not to say that David Cutcliffe, he's a stand-up man. I know that. He recruited me when he was at Tennessee, before he went to Ole Miss. Man, I like him a lot. But he's got a vested interest here. You know, he's got a, a horse in the race. And it looks great for the Duke program and for his resume to be able to sell the recruits. I have quarterbacks that get drafted in the top ten. And to me, that's where the fix was in from the start. That was my issue. You know, just connecting the dots. Again, I'll mind everybody. Ernie, of course, he was the GM of the Giants when they drafted Eli Manning. Coach David Cutcliffe was the head coach of Eli Manning's football team down there with Ole Miss. I think a relationship gets started there. The Giants hire Ernie Acorsi now, you know, years later to hire their next GM. Well, Dave Gettleman served under Ernie Acorsi. They have a relationship. So uh, there's that right off the bat. Then, okay, there's a Daniel Jones available in the first, you know, as one of the top quarterbacks in the the draft. I just feel like you know David Cutcliffe probably sold them on him, told them all the lines we've heard. That Gil Brandt, who I would also say is part of that old world NFL fraternity, where he's telling people this is Eli, this is Payton, and they just go, "Whoa, I trusted him. He gave us Eli and Payton. He must be right here." Oh wait, oh that's right. It, it means a lot for his his organization and his football team to have a top ten uh, draft pick. Well, let me not evaluate that. To me, that's where I connected all. The the dots and always thought that the Giants were taking, or at least the last three weeks, as you've uh, thankfully gave me credit for, for saying that the Daniel Jones thing, so the Giants just made too much sense when connecting the NFL dots there.
1: And, And I'm fascinated by the reality that there's an alternate universe somewhere where Cutcliffe stayed at Tennessee, you went to Tennessee, and... You were drafted by the Giants in 2003, a man. year before they drafted Eli dream Manning. come true. That would have been a dream come true. I mean, it
2: really would have been. I would have stayed at Tennessee if David Cutcliffe had stayed there, definitely. Uh, and man, that would have been my dream. To play for the New, we, York, w- New York Giants would have been an absolute dream come true.
1: We were talking during the show about what these teams really did want, what the Broncos really wanted. And and uh, here we, we still don't know. Any inside information we get, right. it's still subject to change. It's one thing to, to to talk about what you want, to leak what you want, to tell people after the fact who you want. After the fact, you wanted the guy you got. Period. You you didn't want anybody else but the guy you got. This is exactly the guy we wanted if we'd had the first pick in the draft. This is the guy we would have taken. But but you never do know what a guy's going to do, what a GM is going to do, a coach, an owner, whatever, until they're on the clock. And I I, I would bet that. That there have been teams who have gone into that 10 minutes, and it used to be 15, thinking they were going to do one thing. But by the time that it was time to put a name down, they, they changed their minds. Yeah. And so I, I, the idea that Dave Gettleman or Dave Cutcliffe or anybody else would suggest that they knew what a team was going to do, I just don't buy it. And yeah. I think it's just a clumsy effort after the fact to make a, a questionable decision look less questionable even though it ultimately comes down to cause all this time it's we've spun our wheels all week talking about it, right. which I'm fine with because there isn't a whole lot else to talk about. It all comes down to whether or not the guy can play. That's if right. the guy can play, it doesn't matter whether he was pick 6, pick 17, or pick 158. It yeah. doesn't matter if he can play.
2: Agreed. I don't care either. You know, yes, I didn't think he was worth the 6 pick. I know I said many times that I didn't think he was a first-round talent, but it really doesn't matter. They were sold on it. They made him their guy. That's great. I'm a Giants fan. My kid's a Giants fan, even though he's kind of wanting to go to the Browns, too, here. But we're rooting for Daniel Jones because i I'm a Giants fan and he's our quarterback, so I hope he is successful and, you know, I hope he doesn't punch me in the mouth for some of my negative quarterback reviews I gave him when I see him in the future at some point. I,
1: I hope he does punch me in the
2: mouth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh,
1: th- there are some people out there who would like to punch somebody from the AAF in the mouth because <laughs> yeah. they're not going to get paid and this this is something that came out yesterday. SI.com has a lengthy story about the rise and the demise of the Alliance of American Football and mentioned in there is that Reggie Fowler who was the initial primary investor he he is charged with bank fraud now. That happened just this week. It's an unrelated cryptocurrency operation and there 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 were representations made and apparently, you know, when you get into the banking world, you have to do things a certain way. You can't just go fly by night and This is the end result of what caused Fowler back around Christmas time to no longer be able to give the AAF the money that it needed. And Chris, I don't for the life of me understand how he ended up being the primary investor. How did he get approved? How was he just the only guy who was willing to do it? And if this is the best you have, don't you just say at that point, maybe we're not going to go forward with this. But the, the big disconnect is they acted from the get go like they had money. And the reality is they were relying on Reggie Fowler to prop them up, and then they moved to Tom Dundon, who had the ability at all times to say, I'm out. He eventually says, I'm out, and the House of Cards collapses. It's amazing to me, as we learn more about this and fit it all together, that they embarked on this a year ago with this attitude that we're fully funded. We have money. We're here to stay. And they didn't have enough money to get through one season. They almost didn't have enough money to get through two weekends.
2: Yeah, I it, to me is uh, it's it's a shame, and a lot of different levels. I mean, I, I'm no lawyer. I know a, I know my strengths in life. I'm not a great businessman. I know I love football and have a big mouth, and that works together. And that's why I got a job on your show and NBC Sports. Uh, but from the get-go. This did not seem right to me. I mean, it made no sense, just as far as business business ethics, right? I mean, uh, you're going to start a league. You're going to tell a bunch of people who are going to change their jobs or move their families that, hey, this thing's fully funded. We're good for a year. We're good for two years. You kind of mislead them to think you have something substantial here, and then really ultimately screw them over because you've lied about the finances and the setup of the whole institution to begin with. And that, to me, is wrong. On so many levels, which I would think what we're hearing is illegal too, but just ethically and morally wrong too where I'm shocked it got this far down the road. I'm shocked there's not more laws in place to prove that okay, if you're going to start this type of business you have to have this type of amount of money in the bank already to continue to work that there's not a law in place to kind of do those types of checks and balances.
1: I mean, I, I, I was talking about this yesterday on the PFTPM podcast and the analogy doesn't work perfectly but it's kind of like going to the bank and trying to get a loan for a house you can't afford and just lying out your ass about how much money you make, how much money you have, how much property you have elsewhere, just your entire financial portfolio. You just lie about it, lie about it, lie about it to get what you want. Right. This think about this, this is how it becomes problematic. And and this is the one most glaring example for me. UCF had a deal to host the Orlando Apollos game, 75000 per game in rent. On top of that, UCF spent a hundred grand in staging the games well you're not spending that money you're not floating the loan to a fly-by-night seat-of-the-pants operation that may not have money you'll do it if you're under the impression that they're good for it and everything they did exuded we're good for it that's where the problems come in when you get people to rely upon your representations, that you have the money to pay them, and they pay their own money, they incur debts, either out-of-pocket or just services they provide to you, and they get screwed in the bankruptcy proceeding, they're going to be looking for relief under the civil justice system, and people need to worry. And i I got to call it like I see it. People need to be worrying about the criminal justice system, worrying about a prosecutor saying, we think there was evidence of fraud here for it to get to this point as they pick through the carcass of the AAF. It doesn't take much to get to the point where you come to the conclusion, Chris, that somebody committed fraud in allowing this thing to be puffed up into something that it clearly wasn't.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely seems that way. And yeah, I, I, you know, that's above my pay grade. And that's where I, listen, I lean on you with these type of things because you're a whole lot smarter with all these uh, aspects and little intricacies that go into law and business. And certainly, but uh, yeah, at a very base level, it definitely seems like somebody lied, misled a whole group of people and really is just not fair. I mean to anybody out there who is you know, gypped out of money or or left a job to go to this because they thought it was substantial, but you know, you talked about central Florida. I mean, that's just, it's unfortunate. It's unbelievable. You know, it's to me, I, I it, these type of situations again, you know, the next time comes around UCF or something like that's going to just got to go. You got to pay me in full right now. We've been screwed over. You got to just show me, you can pay me at all right now. Cause we're not going to, you know, give you a bill on a month to month basis that you can't pay, you know, come a, come a few months down the road. And that's when the league says, well, we'll go to someone else that doesn't demand that. And they start like, see,
1: that's, th- th- here's the thing. There's a fine line between, and I've already said it 10 times this show, so I'll say it again. There's a fine line between bullshit and fraud. There's a certain amount of allowable BS that occurs in business. There's, you, you cross a line into something worse than that and i got to give you credit your instincts are right and and it's it's you have a, a basic sense of what is fair and just and you know my experience in practicing law is this if it is something that just feels at at a core level as being unjust there is a way to make the legal system bend in favor of writing that wrong right. if it just feels wrong in most cases, there is a way to right that wrong. So I, I give you credit for having the instincts that there is something here that doesn't smell right. And and all it takes is one prosecutor, and there will be plenty of prosecutors that have jurisdiction over the AAF. One prosecutor says, we're going to get to the bottom of what happened here because a lot of people got screwed, and something about this doesn't add up. Yep. So uh, – yeah, I you know it's not something we want to talk about, but how? how I mean, this was a league that was going to complement the NFL. It was going to be a minor league. It was a big deal. It's on CBS, right? And it just disappears. How can you not spend some time talking about that? That's right. I have a feeling we'll continue to do so. All right, Chris, take the weekend off.
2: Okay. You're sold. I will. No doubt about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you, Chris, on Monday. Everybody else will be back Friday. It's a big cat day on PFT Live. Also, an interview of Mitchell Trubisky is coming up at some point on Friday. And I'm going to talk to Stephen Jones later this morning about the Dallas Cowboys. You'll see that on the PFT PM podcast. We'll have some of it on PFT Live also tomorrow on Friday. Chris, have a good one, buddy.
2: Thanks, Great job.
1: And uh, everybody, thanks for your time. We'll see you again on Friday.
2: Be good. See ya.